It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ryan Gorman here with Dana McKay and John Mamola in for James Burlander. And right now, let's go to the Holland. Group Hotline. Check them out at askthehollands.com and bring in our White House correspondent, John Decker. John, great to talk to you this morning. So yesterday, Hunter Biden's lawyer puts out a letter saying that Hunter Biden is open to testifying publicly this month, this coming month, December, before the House Oversight Committee. Step us through how all this unfolded and where things stand today. Well, the way it started is a subpoena was issued to uh, Hunter Biden through his attorney and the attorney now responding to that subpoena, the subpoena asking uh, Hunter Biden to appear before the House Oversight Committee behind closed doors on December 13th, two weeks away. Uh, and this is a response letter that uh, the committee received from Abby Lowell, the attorney that represents Hunter Biden, indicating that indeed he will comply with the subpoena, but uh, they insist that this hearing be conducted in the open, uh, public hearing, as opposed to a deposition behind closed doors. That was rejected by the House Oversight Committee Chairman uh, Comer, and he has indicated that there could be a public hearing down the road, but initially they want to interview Hunter Biden behind closed doors through the deposition process. What is the feeling among other Republicans? Because to me... This is what we've been waiting for for some time now. If Hunter Biden is willing to uh, commit to a public hearing, I mean, that's what the American people, that's what Republicans have wanted. Answers to all of these questions about his dealings and if this could be done out in the open, uh, not really understanding why there would be pushback. Well, that's right, you know, and that's the reason why Republicans like Senator Josh Hawley, obviously not a part of this process, has said that's great that Hunter Biden uh, wants to give his testimony in public uh, under oath. Uh, and, you know, he doesn't see anything wrong with that, uh, you know, and that is, as you point out, Ryan, what uh, so many people have been waiting for to hear public uh, the testimony from Hunter Biden in response to various allegations that his business dealings have benefited uh, Joe Biden uh, in terms of uh, the financial efforts by Hunter Biden benefiting uh, the now president, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, that's not what is anticipated. Uh, two weeks away is when this deposition now will take place. Uh, Hunter Biden will comply with the subpoena, according to his attorney. So we're just going to have to now uh, hear from the uh, uh, Congress members who are on the House Oversight Committee after that deposition yeah. took place in terms of what it was that Hunter Biden disclosed to the committee during his testimony. And, and real quick, final question for you. Does it normally work like this where there would be a deposition and then a public hearing if all the parties agree? Or could there just be a public hearing without the deposition? Is that just kind of up to the committee? It's really up to the committee and it's up to, you know, what we see with various witnesses. Think back, uh, Ryan, to the January 6th committee hearings. Uh, some of those individuals that testified publicly had already given testimony behind closed doors 
in the deposition process. So that's why it's not that unusual to see the committee, the House Oversight Committee, uh, going about the process in this manner. But to your point, this is a very unique set of circumstances, and the American public has been waiting to hear from Hunter Biden under oath respond to the various questions that will be posed of him by lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. All right, our White House correspondent John Decker with us this morning. John, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Ryan. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You as well. I I just don't get it. I don't understand. You've got Hunter Biden agreeing to testify publicly. You're going to have him under oath testifying before Congress, answering all the questions that we want answered. Republicans are going to be able to, to question him. They can ask him whatever they want. And... You're not going to take him up on that opportunity. You're going to do it behind closed doors. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And I think one of the things that someone said is that they think that they'll have more transparency if it's done behind closed doors. But that doesn't make any sense. He's going to be under oath and he's going to say what he's going to say, I think, yeah. whether it's behind closed doors or not. Right. And and we all know how this is going to play out behind closed doors uh, immediately after that's over the deposition, probably honestly. The way things leak in the middle of it, you're going to have Republicans uh, giving one story. You're going to have Hunter Biden and his team leaking something else. And then we're all going to be sitting here. And basically, I think the American people will, depending on what side of the aisle they're on, they'll believe what they want to believe and will have been no closer to any kind of a resolution to all of this after the deposition's over, where if you have a public hearing We can all watch it for ourselves. We can all see the questions and the answers for ourselves. And we can actually maybe make up our minds on all of this. Yeah, I don't get it either. I'm with you. I mean, the hell with the behind the scenes. The hearing on December 13th, it should be public and it should be prime time. (laughs) Absolutely. I'll watch. I think everybody wants to see what he's going to say. Right. And the fact that he agreed to do the public hearing uh, that to me, that's a good. Th- I, I, I honestly, I, I don't get it. It just feels like what we're going to have is we're going to have a bunch of politics played around all of this. We're going to be no closer to any answers. They're going to carry this into 2024, an election year, and try to use it during the election. Whereas if you really want answers to all, and I do, I want to know, I want Hunter Biden to answer some really tough questions. Yeah. I have no doubt Republicans would ask some really tough questions. And I would also instruct the Republicans on the committee, if I were Comer, I'd say, you know what? We're going to do a public hearing. And no speeches. I don't want any of your grandstanding nonsense, okay? This is about getting answers. You can ask really tough questions, but you get right to the questions and you let him answer. I want a real serious hearing here for the American people to show that we can do so. You know, it doesn't always have to be a circus just because Hunter yeah, Biden. Oh, it's going to be, be a circus. <laughs> but that that's what I would want. And I, I don't know why uh, we wouldn't do something like that. I don't either. Yeah. All right. Ryan Gorman here with Dana McKay and John Mamola in for James Burlander. And now let's go to the Holland Group hotline. Check them out at askthehollands.com and bring in the publisher of Florida Politics, Peter Schorsch. You can find all of his work and all of his team's reporting at floridapolitics.com. And you can follow him on X for the latest at Peter Schorsch FL. So, Peter, a couple different things to talk about. Let's start with this report that came out about a Florida official uh, laying dead or dying for 24 minutes in 
the governor's office hallway. Uh, this was something you uh, reported on a little bit at the time, but now we have more details and you're revealing more of what you knew about this incident. Step us through what happened and how this played out. This is uh, the ultimate whodunit uh, in a way. Uh, Pete Antonacci, known as Mr. Fix-It, uh, a longtime Capitol insider. He had been um, kind of a, a, a go-to guy for multiple governors. He went down to the Broward County Supervisor of Elections after they had screwed up. Mm. He had been put into different positions. Uh, you just basically called on this guy to like fix a bad situation. Very well respected in Tallahassee. Decades of experience. Um, he ends up uh, suffering a heart attack after a meeting in the governor's office with him. And this is all reported now by the Florida Bulldog based on public records with him, uh, multiple members of the FDLE. Um, he was at this point now in charge of the election crimes unit that you've seen in the headlines, you know, that they've arrested people who have voted when they were not supposed to uh, governor staff, et cetera. Um, uh, so we find out that he laid in the hallway for 24 minutes, which is bizarre to say the least, that someone could could just die um, in the governor's office. What happened was is that he had abruptly left this meeting with the FDLE staff and the governor's staff um, and had collapsed in the hallway there. Um, I did report the death at the time. It was a very uh, touchy situation. I had spoken to a source inside the room, a high-ranking source inside the room, that said that there was a very heated argument uh, between Antonacci and the FDLE staff. And I had I confirmed this again yesterday with a very close confidant that had worked with Pete Antonacci, and it was basically they wanted him to arrest more people uh, for voter crime uh, issues. Um, he said that he had spoken with, this is what my source had told me, that he had spoken with four different state attorneys. They had told him to, quote, quote, pound sand, and that he had told FDLE, the governor's staff, hey, I don't have the gov- uh, gubernatorial, I don't have the statutorial authority to do this. Um, and so that was the end of the conversation as far as I know. The source in the room that had called me later, who a certain person, a, a DeSantis person, said basically, yeah, Pete left, uh, you know, there was a very heated exchange. And so he ended up, you know, uh, he did not have a heart attack because of that meeting. People have heart attacks because of a variety of reasons leading up to that moment. Um, But he did suffer a heart attack right after that meeting. It had kind of gone unreported. We finally got the uh, the, the records of it. It is a really weird case. I will close it with this, uh, Ryan, and this is what has always upset me. Pete Antonacci dies that afternoon. He is in the Ron DeSantis is informed about the death. We now know that Ron DeSantis still goes to a high school football game that night um, in his kind of like semi campaigning, semi governor role. I just found that to be one of the most bizarre, one of the most callous acts that I've ever seen in Florida state government. This area where uh, Antonacci died, um, is it a heavily trafficked area in the governor's office? Uh, because, you know, 24 minutes is, is a pretty long period of time. Well, and my question also is, how did they know it was 24 minutes? Did they have a camera that showed yeah. that he was in that hallway for that amount of time? How did they know it was 24 minutes? So there is a camera in that hallway, and that is that is um, um, how they knew the timing of it. And in fact, 
And this hadn't been reported by the Bulldog. And there are some, I will say there's a few things in the Bulldog story that are still, I haven't, I'm surprised that they weren't mentioned. Um, there was just like a, I, I've heard the 911 call, which was not reported in the, the Bulldog. And there's just this kind of lack of awareness of what to do. Of I, I kid you not, they, they don't, the, the staffer who calls in didn't know who Pete Antonacci was, um, which was just kind of bizarre. Um, just to give you, I guess, a sense of framework, if you've ever seen like the West Wing or any Aaron Sorkin show, it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, there's all these like narrow corridors where people are always passing each other. Okay. Sometimes there's a lot of people. Sometimes there's nobody there. Um, I would say it's rare that, I mean, it's clearly not somebody saw him and turned the other way. We would have seen that on the videotape. Yeah. It, but it was just one of those days where maybe the governor was out of, if the governor is out of the building, there's going to be less staff mm. inside the executive office. It is a, it is kind of a more private place. There isn't any reason for somebody to be there other than to see governor, other governor or the, the, you know, the highest ranking, you know, like chiefs of staff and deputy chief of staff. And so obviously it sounds like governor DeSantis and Pete Antonacci weren't, they weren't very close. I mean, he worked for him uh, for this specific reason, but I'm guessing they weren't close in terms of close friends or, or anything like that. No, they weren't. And it is, again, I, I talked with another person who had, who had was very close to the Antonacci family, and he was telling me yesterday about the scene at the funeral. He said, you know, Rick Scott, who Antonacci had worked for, went over to um, uh, Pete Antonacci's widow, who is well-known in state government as well, and, and really embraced her. And Rick Scott, as we know, is not Mr. Warm and Fuzzy. Right. Uh, this per this person said it was so bizarre they did not see Ron DeSantis even emote. They did, didn't. This person literally said he did not see Ron DeSantis blink. He did not see Ron DeSantis make any like motion at this at the at the Antonacci funeral. He just said it was like, and he said it was kind of weird because he wanted to acknowledge that you know the governor was there and mm -hmm. it was just like there was no. There was, it was like a shark size. I mean, that's my words, but the idea, the guy just described it as just somebody that there was just no reaction to uh, the Antonazi passing. Well, this is one of the issues that Governor DeSantis has had during this presidential campaign is, is that kind of stuff. Lack of emotion. Yeah, yeah. Um, or just, a, you know, an awkwardness at times and things like that. So let's talk about the governor's uh, campaign. And again, we're joined by the publisher of Florida Politics, Peter Shorsch. It feels like tomorrow night is a huge night, a make or break night, perhaps, for DeSantis. This debate with Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, which everyone can listen to here on News Radio WFLA starting at nine, because he doesn't have any momentum right now. Nikki Haley does. I mean, she's still way back from Trump, but in terms of that battle for second place, and there just aren't a lot of opportunities to gain some momentum except for tomorrow night. You know, I, I've been thinking about tomorrow night, and I, I feel like tomorrow night, and this is mixing, you know, a sports analogy, uh, that this is a, you know, a almost like a college football bowl game. Yeah. It is not for the national championship. It is not for the playoffs. Um, but what it is is a preview of things to come. You know, you often see this in, uh, during college bowl season that we're in right now. A team gets there. They're not playing for the title. Maybe they're playing in the Cotton Bowl or some second- or third-tier bowl, and they play really well, and you're like, hey, you know what? It's going to be a great season next year. They've got a great program. I think what we're seeing here is the contours of debates to come, of 2028, et cetera. I think, that, I think we are at the end stages of the DeSantis campaign, and this is basically just can he 
can he look good for the future as the culture warrior that he wants to be? And final question for you, the Coke political apparatus getting behind Nikki Haley. How big of a deal is that? Massive, massive, massive. I, I mean, that is, you know, you and I've talked about it. Is there anything that could, um, you know, lightning in a bottle for anything? I don't think it necessarily translates to them knocking off Trump at this point. But I know the people that run AFP at the national and even here at the state level, they're a huge force at the state level here in Florida. Um, this gives Nikki Haley the things that she was missing, which is she really did not have a ground game in Iowa and other states. This puts in, te- you know, literally tens of thousands of volunteers throughout the state, uh, throughout the country for her. it also signals to the elite donors that, hey, this is the guy or this is the woman we're going with. Right. It's not DeSantis. So if we are going to load up with somebody, uh, we are going to load up with Nikki Haley. All right. The publisher of Florida Politics, Peter Shore. She can find all of his work, all of his team's reporting, and a whole lot more at FloridaPolitics.com. And you can follow him on X for the latest, too, at Peter Shore FL. Peter, great to catch up with you. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, Ryan. Take care. To Jerusalem and bring in ABC News correspondent Jordana Miller with the latest on everything happening in Israel and Gaza and the latest on the release of Israeli hostages. So, Jordana, what are some of the developments you're following this morning? Well, the two-day extension is going according to plan. Yesterday was day one uh, and late last night we did see Hamas free 10 more Israeli hostages, all women. Uh, mostly senior citizens, seven senior citizens, uh, and a woman in her 30s, and then a mother, and just one uh, Israeli child, a 17-year-old uh, girl, a uh, teenager. So that happened, and Israel, uh, in exchange, also released at a three-to-one rate Palestinian women and minors who are sitting in jail uh, for various security offenses. They essentially got out of jail early yesterday. Uh, and so that is good news and aid continues to roll in. We do expect tonight another, uh, round of hostages to be released, another 10. The prime minister's office says he has the list. He has those names. Uh, so that is good news. And then, uh, beyond that, we are hearing, uh, optimism from both all sides that Israel and Hamas may uh, indeed reach another extension of the ceasefire for at least two more days. And so the ceasefire has held, there haven't been any rockets fired into Israel during this time, and Israel has ceased uh, all operations for the moment? So there have been um, very small violations of the ceasefire. Um, There were a few, for example, IEDs that went off near uh, Israeli troops, uh, they're positioned on certain lines, and, um, you know, there were at least two explosions yesterday. Um, I think several soldiers were just uh, minor injuries. Uh, Israel also uh, had some clashes with some armed men, possibly Hamas members, possibly just, affiliate, you know, uh, um, gangs or other right. militant groups that are affiliated with Hamas. They opened fire on them when they were trying to come back to the northern Gaza Strip. So that was uh, small. But these are small. These have been small infractions, um, and they've never really seriously tested or jeopardized the ceasefire. All right, ABC News correspondent Jordana Miller coming to us live from Jerusalem with the latest. Jordana, really appreciate it. Thanks. Good talking to you.
All right, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. And uh, just taking a look at the amount of hostages that have been released, uh, Israeli hostages, over the course of the past couple of days. Obviously, this this temporary pause is working well. Um, they're getting uh, a number of hostages back, uh, many children, some older individuals who need to get out of Gaza and get medical attention. Um, but... I think there is zero question that uh, soon uh, maybe there will be a little bit more of an extension in order to get more hostages back. But soon Israel is going to resume their operations and continue to take out Hamas. Yes. And actually, when we talked to Jordana yesterday, when you were out, that's what she said, is that the Israeli people, they are happy to see the hostages being released. But they know that, you know, the Israeli government, they still need to do what they need to do to make sure that this doesn't happen again and that they need to wipe out Hamas and, and remove them from gaza there was a um a post on x from president biden and it read hamas unleashed a terrorist attack because they fear nothing more than israelis and palestinians living side by side in peace to continue down the path of terror violence killing and war is to give hamas what they seek we can't do that i was reading that yesterday i i don't know what that means i don't either like i i don't know is he is he calling for Israel it's, to scale it back? Stop. Yeah, that's stop? kind of what it sounds like. Right. Like, when it comes to foreign policy and the situation involving Israel and Hamas, maybe don't conduct that via tweet. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like maybe, maybe make sure whatever message you're putting out has all the context that's needed and it's easily understood by everybody. Yeah, because, that can be interpreted a number of different ways. Right. Uh, not his finest post on, or whoever posted it uh, for you him. You know it wasn't him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.